That's in the air, this could be out. Diamond's underneath it, will he catch it? He's got good hands, he's got him, yes he has. Diamond's got him in the deep, having fumbled all night, he's taken the big one. Hello and welcome to Coach Talk. The guest today is former New Zealand fast bowler and bowling coach Shane Bond. He talks about his injury shortened career, his advice for young fast bowlers, how team bowling plans are developed, the captain's role in a fast bowler's success and some of the highlights of his career amongst other things. Welcome to the show Shane. Thanks, nice to be here. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Um, let's uh, get started with uh, the injuries that you had to deal with right through your career, um, you know, it was the career was cut short. You were able to play only 18 Test matches and 82 ODIs for New Zealand. Was there ever any thought in your mind of uh, cutting back on the pace or uh, shortening the run-up or changing the bowling action to reduce stress on your body? Uh, to be fair, no. Um, I had to remodel my action. Um, once I had surgery on my back, I spent a lot of time um, going over that and seeing if there were adjustments that I, I had to make, and there were a couple. I had a, a mixed action, so I certainly had to make some adjustments there. But in terms of throttling back, no, it was probably one of the things I I, I perhaps should have done in hindsight was um, you know just take my time a little bit more and perhaps drop the pace a little bit. But in saying that, uh, I always felt that um, my success came from going um, sort of at 100% all the time and um, you know, that was my role within the team was to do that. So uh, I just tried to prepare as best as I could and, and fulfill that role. And unfortunately for me, it meant that a few injuries came on the way. But, you know, that, 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 that's sport. I mean, was that uh, your pride or ego of being a fast bowler getting in the way, perhaps, in the sense that, you know, you want to bowl fast and it's always a thrilling thing to watch a fast bowler on a cricket field? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I, I, I just think that, you know, my point of difference was my pace, and that if I just if I dropped the pace to be more accurate, I would have you know I'd have fallen back into the into the pack and been competing with every other bowler. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that was the point of difference for our bowling attack was the fact that I could bowl you know 90 miles an hour plus, and it just added some a, a different sort of variety to a, a very good bowling attack that we had anyway. So that's that's the role that I wanted to do, and I love doing. So you know, I, I, was, I was happy to do that anyway. Uh, you know, uh, your and when you began your career, uh, that was the end of uh, another fastball, New Zealand fastball, Dion Nash, and his career was cut short by injuries as well. Um, was there any input, advice from him on how you you should uh, go about managing your body, or you were on your own? No, I think we. I mean, guys talked about it. I mean, you know, it's part of the course if you're playing um, international cricket that you're going to get injured at some time, and we we talked about different things that we were doing. Um, as bowlers, I know Dion did a lot of Pilates and stuff like that to strengthen areas up for him. So everyone was aware of trying as much as they possibly could um, to, to, to stay on the park. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, some people are more durable than others. And, um, you know, just the stresses that we had and putting our bodies, we, we just didn't cope with it that well. And I don't, I don't think, I think that was a frustrating thing. I think it was always frustrating if you, if you publicly copped a little bit of stick that, you know, you were hurt all the time because you, you knew behind the scenes you were doing everything you, that you could to, to stay on the park. Hmm. Um, you know, you've been bowling coach uh, for New Zealand for three years, from 2012 to 15, and now you're with uh, the Mumbai Indians franchise as well as their bowling coach. I mean, when when you have younger fast bowlers uh, in 
you know, in your, uh, under your tutelage? Um, are there things that you try to pass on where they could protect their body a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. I think that's one side of the game that I was um, actually quite enjoy, and I think it's really important is the is the player management aspect. You know, they call it they call it loading or bowling loading. It's just being aware of the, the amount of load that's going through a, a bowler, not only just from a bowling point of view, but everything that that goes on within the game, the, the weight training, the running, etc. And try to make uh, informed decisions around that. Um, you know, because if somebody gets hurt, I, I think it's not good enough, particularly these days or in any cricket, you know, players are your assets and you want to keep them on the field and, and what you don't want to be doing is making the same mistakes over and over. So I'm really big on that, uh, measuring those bowling lows, the loading stuff that goes on. And then at least if somebody gets injured, you can sit down, you can review it, you can you can see what's what's transpired and you can make some adjustments to the program to, to you know, l- lower the chance of that happening again. So um, I think you're always having those discussions with bowlers, how much they're bowling, how much they're not bowling, the type of bowling that they're doing. Uh, when they need their rest and how they're going to take it. And I think, you know, you try and build the trust uh, with the bowlers that you're working with so that they, that, you know, they're confident that even if they have a rest for a couple of days off, that they can still perform at that top level. I mean, considering what you had to go through in your career, um, you know, right now you have in international cricket, uh, Pat Cummins and uh, James Pattinson, just to name a couple, who have had, uh, who are quite young, really fast bowlers, but have had issues to the back and stuff. So if you were to give advice to these young ones, uh, what would it be? What, what would you tell them so that you know they have a productive career? I, I think it's particularly when you return from injury, it's just take a little bit longer than perhaps you think you need to. And I think you know a week or two at that, the back end of re- injury recovery can save you a lot of time and, and perhaps prevent a reoccurrence happening again. And, I think, you know, when you get players like Pattinson and Cummins and uh, the Corey Anderson, these sorts of players who are, are vital players or quality players if you want them playing for, you know, your country because they, they do win matches. There's a tendency to hurry these guys back um, into the starting teams. And I think particularly from a bowling point of view, you go from, you know, just bowling in the nets or preparation straight mm-hmm. into international cricket. And not only is the intensity high when you're playing at that level, but so is everything else. You know, there's a massive step up in the, the intensity around fielding, the promotion, the travel, etc. Yeah. You know, and that takes its toll on people. And, and I think sometimes uh, there's just you want to take that measured approach just to play some, you know, some club cricket, some first-class cricket, just to, to manage that intensity back up into that uh, national team. And then once you get in there, it's you know, it's still about giving the guys. I think once you get into the national team, you've still got to rest guys and give them the opportunity to have breaks because you know you just can't do the fast bowling role 12 months of the year around you. Mm-hmm. You just can't, A, you won't sustain fitness, and B, you won't sustain performance or pace. Um, I want to switch gears and talk about fast bowling itself. You know, you, in your time, you, Shoaib Akhtar, Brett Lee, just to name the three, were bowling, you know, excess of 150. And when the batsmen are facing you, they realistically have absolutely no time to see the ball being delivered and then plan a shot. So there is a premeditation to, sort of premeditation to what the kind of shots they have in mind to play against uh, the quick bowlers. So this is a question from a listener, Karthikeya. I mean, uh, does, that, does that sort of premeditation from a batsman point of view affect how you think and how you approach in getting that batsman out? 
I think the premeditation now is more prevalent probably in the short form. I think I, I certainly think in short form cricket, the batsmen sometimes guess where they think the bowler is going to bowl, and I, and I think they, they particularly do that when they put a bowler under pressure. You know, they'll, they'll, I think batsmen manipulate or try to manipulate the length of bowlers bowl, so they'll charge down the wicket and then they'll predict that the bowler is going to drop a little bit shorter, so they'll sit back and, and given the fields and, and the sort of the patterns that bowlers bowl to. But, you know, they'll sometimes, I think, the quality players have a best guess and that's why you'll see them paddle or walk across their stumps because I think they believe there's a fair idea of, they've got a fair chance of uh, knowing where the bowler's going to bowl. Uh, I still, I mean, as you say, when you guys are bowling at the pace that they bowl, um, you wonder how they do play. But, you know, I know from my experience, just coaching Tim Southey and, and working through some variations in the nets up against a Kane Williamson. Mm-hmm. His ability to see what was going on in the hand and see the ball was staggering. Um, you know, as a batter, I could, I could barely see the scene. He could see different finger positions, what Tim was trying to do. He could, he could tell if the ball was wobbling, which way he was trying to swing it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just a, 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 the mark of a genius, but the Irish stagger at, at his ability to pick that up so early. And I think that's really what separates the, the great players probably from the, the not-so-great. So let's say you know you're in a test match, bowling in a test match and you're feeling good, you're in a rhythm, you know, ripping it at 150 k's. Um, let's say the batsman, you know, really, really, you know, top level batsman, and he's picking it from your hand, and he can sense based on your angles, etc. What and the feel, obviously, um, what is expected when you see that the batsman is already prepared on facing what you are going to deliver. How do you adjust as a bowler? Oh, it's a good question. I mean, that's the thing. I've, I've played up against a number of, of great players who, even when you're bowling quick, just seem to have you know all the time in the world, and uh, <laughs> that's that, that's a re- that's a real challenge. I think you you, you know you do your, you do your work before you you um, take the field, so you have ideas of the zones that you know that you need to be bowling, and you just try and hang in there um, for a, a little. You know, the great players just to take a little bit longer, and then if that doesn't work, you have that. That word with your captain and away you go, you pick a different line of attack or a different length of attack, you, you set a different field and you know, and, and, and you, you you bring a different wave or something different. And I think, you know, from, from from a bowling point of view, you're all about trying to create some doubt in the batsman's mind as to his decision making. And if you can create that doubt, um, that's when you'll make a mistake and that's when you'll get the wicket. The, the challenges against the top batsmen is they know their game so well, it's, it can be very difficult to do that. And, and sometimes that can turn into a patience game. Other times, when you when you know when everything clicks into gear, you know you, you can just simply bowl balls that are too good, and it's it's always nice when that happens. Uh-huh. Uh, so when you're bowling, you know what sort of visual cues do you take from the batsman when you realise, you know what he's picking me really well right from the hand, even before I'm delivering the ball, he's already made his mind. And like, what sort what sort of things do you look for? so that you can recalibrate your uh, bowling strategy? Oh, look, I, th- I think when you go into a game, you, you already have a, an understanding of the, the, uh, the zones that, that batsmen like to score, the areas that they're particularly strong, mm-hmm. um, and, and obviously you want to stay away from those. Sometimes you'll, you'll decide that actually they're, 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 that's the area that I want to attack and perhaps play to a batsman's strength. I think you'll also know areas that they don't score, and, and that's when you can leave gaps in the field for them to, to perhaps target and go outside their their game plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at their technique. You know how how deep are they batting in the crease? Um, you know uh, what sort of shots they're looking to play? What's the tempo that they're 
they've brought to the to the game. Um, and, and, you know, some players like the likes of A.B. De Villiers, they'll bring different stuff on different days. So you've certainly got to be adaptable to, to, to what they bring to the table. You know, we just talked about batsmen premeditating based on the cues they get from the run-up, the way you hold the ball, your angle of approach, the crease, etc., etc. Um, was there premeditation in your bowling or was it just a product of uh, what happened in the delivery before? Oh, look, I think it was a combination of both. I think you have an idea um, where, where you want to bowl and how you want to set a batsman up based on an over. You, you, might, you might feel that the best way to get a batsman out is to, is to bowl the, the wider delivery and get them to driving. And, and it may be a case that, you'll just, that you will say, well, it's going to take me two or three overs to do that. And so you bowl a tight line, you bowl the bouncer, and then after two or three overs, you're prepared to throw that wider ball out there mm. as the sucker ball to get, that, that you may see as the wicket. That may not necessarily be the ball that gets the wicket. It may be something else. But I think in your mind, you're trying to construct an over before you start, thinking about, okay, how, how do I think I'm going to get this, this player out? And I think sometimes that, that think thought process gets shorter, you know, the shorter the format of the game. Mm-hmm. So in T20 cricket, every, every ball is an event in T20 cricket, and, and every ball is vital. So... You've got to have that ability to think clearly under pressure, um, sort of weigh up what happened the ball before, and then just execute what you think is the very best ball you can bowl. Um, you know, given what happened before and what the team needs. I want to talk a bit about your time as a bowling coach with uh, New Zealand. Um, uh, you know, especially in um, you know test match scenarios, uh, test series scenario. You know, you had Saudi, Bolt, uh, Wagner, Bracewell. Um, Craig and Saudi, etc., etc. So you know, you have seven, eight bowlers at your disposal. Obviously, Milne and as well. Um, so, how do you construct a bowling plan? You know, going into a series. I mean, I understand. You know, you sit down with your bowlers um, based on their strengths and the kind of opposition you have. But you know, this sort of thing, as fans, as observers of cricket, we don't get it. Uh, from the outside, so could you give us an insider look of how a bowling plan is developed, how that information is disseminated, etc. Yeah, look, we had some, um, you know, we had some uh, generic plans that we spoke about. So, obviously, you had we had two world class bowlers, um, and, and Southie and Bolt, who are swing bowlers, who are always going to bowl fuller, and um, you know, and then we talked about how we would bowl to the back end of the innings, and we wanted to be. Um, aggressive and hostile to the back end of the tail end, mm. make batting as uncomfortable as we could, um, particularly in the lower order. You would sit through all the information, you'd work out where batsmen scored, uh, zones that they're weak, the line, you know, the line and length that you wanted to attack, and then you would sit down and just discuss that as a, as a group and sign off. Particularly because you know some of these players have played against certain players mm-hmm. and may have had success, and, and you'd come up with a plan A, B, and C um, against against these players. You, you would also you know, I'd also dig on the information on on the bowler themselves about the certain times um, in in uh, a test match where they were, had the most success, the lengths they bowled that had the most success, and when they had success, the sort of areas where the ball got hit. So, mm. you know, you could break down a Trent Bolt and say, look, when the ball swings um, initially in those first 10 overs, that the ball really goes through mid-on. So you might leave mid-on open and allow batsmen to, you know, to push at the ball for the ball that goes across or... You know, you might have a couple of mid-wickets because it swings and guys clip them through that area, so it brings in a catching chance. So it was not only just doing information or um, working out stuff on the opposition batters, it was always it was also working out uh, where and how where was the most effective time to use your bowlers 
other zones they got hit if they did miss where did they miss so you could perhaps offer some cover um and you know and then perhaps some areas that you might open up for fielders knowing that it was going to be difficult to to score in those areas given the bowling, bowling types that we had and then you could manipulate your bowlers to the, the times that they bowled their very best and um you know they, they'd perform that role so um, obviously you then across that with the captain and he had to sign off on it but they're the sort of things that we we look to do Hmm. Uh, so you know obviously you know cricketers no matter what we say about plans and the skills etc they're still humans and there will be days when they're feeling the best but the ball's not coming out right or whatever the, there could be any number of reasons where the plans they have in place don't work out so how swift is that feedback i mean i've seen you and before you when alan donald was the bowling coach of new zealand you know you guys would be by the boundary lines constantly sending messages but uh, is there like are you looking at as a bowling coach continually uh, what's happening when your team is on the field and then try to pass on the message on any corrections or reaffirming the faith in the plans etc how how swift is that exchange and feedback yeah look i, I think that's 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 um that that's something that's probably the art of coaching isn't it and having those discussions with the head coach as well as you know, there's times I think it's important for, for players to fail in some respects and, and you don't mind if they have a tough session or a tough match because it's important that they work out for themselves how they're going to do certain things in a game. Uh, other times, you know, when it might be critical parts of games, you might just off walk around the boundary and, and offer a little bit of advice and say, hey, have you thought about this as another plan or, you know, would you consider doing something like that? So I think that's all just part of the, the trust process and, and I think it takes a little bit of time to build that up. I think you, you start to get to understand the body languages of the of the players. And, you know, you can wander around the boundary sometimes and you might not even talk about cricket. You're just trying to distract them from, hmm. you know, getting a little bit down on themselves. So I think from my point of view, that was that was just, uh, you just learned about how to perhaps best do that, you know, the, the longer you coached and, and the better you knew your players. And I think... As you as you went along, you start to understand when the player was feeling good, when they wanted to be spoken to. And some days you were never going to get it right anyway. But hmm. you just hope that the players understood that you were you were there to help them out as best you could. With the uh, input of technology now, you know where you have ball by ball stats and the pitch maps, beehives, uh, Hawkeye information, all that available. Now push of a button. Um, so in a way, the feedback can be quite rapid if the player wants it. Um, so, and how receptive are the players? To, because, you know, they have to take accountability for uh, their job on the field. And, you know, let's say you set up a plan where uh, bowler A, B and C, they were supposed to bowl three different lengths to the batsman. But then when you realize that they haven't done what they're supposed to do, you go back with the information that you have and say, like, listen, you're not, you didn't stick to certain areas. So how, how ready are they to take criticism and accountability for uh, their actions? Oh, look, I think, I think it's important in all roles is that, that level of accountability. I think what the, what the planning does is it gives you a start point. And I think, you know, you've still got to be, you, you want to have a plan that you can fall back on that, that, that narrows the percentages in your favour. I think obviously you can get into a match and the, perhaps the pitch is playing differently than what you expected. And so you've got to have that ability to adjust and not just be stuck in your ways. But I, I think, yeah, you need, that, you need that start point, that point where you can say, look, if all else fails, we can go back to this because we know that, um, you know, what, 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 what history tells us is this is a pretty good area to bowl mm -hmm. as a group. So that's a starting point for discussions. 
And then, as you say, as the game goes on, as the ball gets older, as the conditions change a touch, then you need that, that ability and that flexibility to say, hey, this hasn't quite worked. You know, what are we going to go to now? And, you know, I was lucky I had the, the expertise and the brains and, and the team that could help you and we'd come up with plans to do that. And, 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 I, and I think you want the bowlers to own that. I, I think some bowlers enjoy the, the preparation side more than others. I, I think it's... Um, hmm. You know, you really need to know very clearly, particularly at the back end of T20 and one-day innings, what you're going to do, because that's when the real pressure is on and um, things can sort of get away from a bowler. And and, and you, you've got to be very careful not to make things too complicated, I think. You know, when you're under pressure, you, you, you only want to know one or two key things um, about what you need to do. And I think that's the, the big thing from my point of view is just saying, hey, look, as long as you've got a clear plan, you know, back your plan under pressure. And if it doesn't work, you know, sometimes a, a batsman's going to play well, and that's just the way the game, the game unfolds. So, um, yeah, I think that's, and you just try to encourage players every day and give them the confidence to go out there and, and do their thing. And if they've got confidence in what they're doing, then a lot of the time they'll succeed. I mean, even with the best laid plans, you know, it can go to waste with player when the when a particular batsman is on 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 a given day, and seems like A B De Villiers is uh, he's got a purple patch going for a few years now. You know, how do you prepare uh, for someone like that? You know, is the plan or the bowling plans essentially defensive? You know, you want to concentrate on the lines and the lengths. You want to bowl, and then you hope for AB to make a mistake. Or uh, how do you how do you approach that uh, first as a bowling coach, as well as in in your playing career when you went up against players like Gilchrist or Ricky Ponting, etc. I, I think there's an understanding that you know when you're playing the very best of the best and ABs you know, one of the finest players, if not the finest player in the world, that if he has his day, sometimes there's very little that you can do to, to stop him. I, I think from my point of view, what happens though, or my opinion, is that too often you get on the defensive too quickly. Mm. And I think once you go and get on the defensive and you know, tend to push the ball up there and bowl full to, to players like De Villiers and he knows where the ball is going to be, mm-hmm. then, you, then you're probably in more trouble. And I, and I think, you know, that the inf- as you said, the information is all out there about where these batsmen um, have, well, you wouldn't say a hard time scoring, but where the lower percentage options are for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that the challenge for the bowler is to stay there for as long as they, they can, uh, as soon as, you know, particularly when they're under the pump or a player like De Villiers is going after you. Because I think that's why players like him and uh, the Williamsons are so difficult to bowl to, mm-hmm. is they, they whack you off your plan of where you really need to bowl. And the next thing you know, they're on... 60 or 70 and you're in a lot of trouble and they score so fast that they take the game away from you and that's the challenge of a bowler is say hey look I can bowl a good ball to these blokes and they can get whacked but I've just got to hang in there a bit longer and you know and if I can hang in there then just like any other player that, that they can make a mistake or they can't nick one and I think that's what you try to that's why you try and do that preparation work is to say hey look if you can stay here this is what the, this is what the information tells you about this player doesn't guarantee your success, but at least if, if, if a De Villiers or a Williamson or a Warner puts you under pressure, mm-hmm. you sort of know exactly the area that you need to bowl. So it gives you some clarity um, in those situations where you, you know, where things are feel, feeling a bit bleak. Um, I want to ask uh, the, about the role of a captain in such situations, especially when you're going up against uh, Williamson or De Villiers or Warner or uh, whoever. Um, you know. Um, 
you you played under Stephen Fleming, who was considered a a strategist, tactician, um, and then all, when you were a coach, you played. Uh, you know, the captain was Brendan McCullum, and who came across as a very aggressive, positive mindset, going for the wickets all the time. So, as a strike bowler, how is it? Uh, how does um, the captain's tendencies? You know, either hang back and uh, defend versus attack all the time. How does it affect you as a strike bowler? Oh, look, I think the biggest thing from my point of view is, you know, you want to have the faith, the captain, you know, knowing that the captain had faith in you. That's the first and foremost. And if you felt like he had faith in what you were doing, then that gave you a huge boost to your confidence. Mm -hmm. I th it's like anything. I, I think you can only captain the team um, with the resources that you've got. So you can give the best captain in the world very ordinary bowlers, and he's certainly not going to be able to go on the attack and, mm -hmm. and bowl in a manner, you know, with, with four slips in a gully. And I think... <laughs> The, the likes of the World Cup when you had the Saudis and the Bolt who are on top of their game, yeah. you, you know, you can cap them in a manner like that because you knew that those guys could deliver the line and length required. But sometimes those guys aren't quite in that form, so that makes it a little bit more difficult. But, you know, from anything, the, the end of the day, the captain can only use the resources that he's got, and if he's got good resources, then he can do that. That's why, again, that, that preparation and stuff is important because even with those resources, as we've seen in the recent test matches, the wickets are flat. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> and you've got you know, and you and you've got to know how to protect the runs and stop the run flow, and and still have a plan to get somebody out. So I think it's a combination of both. It's still it's the captain, you know, having that mindset, um, you know, the right mindset, and, and summing up the conditions well, and then having done the preparation work, so he knows uh, exactly where the zones are for each player. So it's a big responsibility for him. But what I've certainly learned, particularly in T20 cricket, is that if the if the if the captain's not across that stuff. Um, you can you can run into real trouble. Hmm. And um, finally, I want to wrap up the uh, conversation. And this one, you know, I want to talk about uh, the highlights of your career. And during your career, you know, you sort of ha you were the thorn in the Aussie flesh. Um, you know, especially in the VB series two thousand two thousand one, as well as in the World Cup, uh, you're six for. Um, you know, are there any specific test match spells and ODA spells that come to your mind when you look back on your career? Yeah, there are a few, mate. I, I think, um, obviously, particularly when you took wickets in test matches, that was always mm. always a real highlight. I love test cricket. It was always the ultimate challenge. So, you know, when you, took, when you, when you got bags of wickets or had spells, three, got three or four wickets and it turned to test match, I think um, they're the most memorable ones. Um, you know, the six wickets against Australia was, you know, it was like a dream unfolding, really. In a, in a World Cup, it was it was unbelievable. Um, it was just a shame we lost the lost mm. the game, really. But I think, you know, I had a, I was lucky enough to have, an, uh, you know, some some great spells um, playing, and I still, you know, you still relive those moments, and still will never forget the feeling that you have, particularly when the when the team won and you did something, and, and it meant the, the the team had success. But there was no better feeling than that. So. Um, yeah, there's, as you said, there's, a, there's been a few across um, both 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 T20 or not T20 ODI and in one day cricket formats. But I always enjoyed, in particular, the, the wickets that lead to a test win. They, they, they to me were the, were the most special. Given that, uh, any regrets on uh, you know your body not allowing you to continue on or no, no, play more? People, people, people still say you know my career was cut short by injury and. I don't feel like it was. I mean, I was a late starter anyway. Mm -hmm. I started at 26, and I finished 
at 34. So I finished, you know, Mitchell Johnson's hung up the boots now. And, um, you know, he, he was the same age I was. And, and I understand exactly what, having watched him in that last test match, what he's going through. I probably had the same thing as him that I just wasn't bowling quite as quick as, as what I used to. I was finding trainings um, just a little bit um, hard to get motivated for. And I, and I think... I think Ian Chappell made the quote about retirement. You know, when you start to think about it, it's time to go. And mm-hmm. and, I, and I and I agree with that. And I, and I and I think you know I know I had a couple of years out with with back injuries, but you know I, I never thought I'd play for New Zealand. So um, all the games I did for me were a real bonus. And I'm just really happy that I had the chance to play as much as I did. And I'm very lucky that I'm <laughs> the game's still being very good to me, and I'm still uh, involved in it and, and making a. Uh, you know, a living out of it and stuff. So, yeah, it's it's just, it's it's brilliant. All right. On that note, Shane, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. No, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah. 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 Ye